once we've understood kind of what might be happening for them or the kinds of thought patterns, the kinds of behaviors that are, you know, keeping them in a cycle of depression or anxiety or contributing to depression and anxiety, because of course there's also biochemical piece, you know, then um, engaging them in the experiment of trying to do things a little bit differently. Welcome to Fit as a Fiddle. My name is Dr. Sneha Ghazi, and I'm a physical therapist and business owner in New York City. Each episode, we bring you phenomenal guests in the health and wellness industry who share inspiring tips and tangible advice. This podcast is for a community of people who want to keep their mind, body, and spirit healthy and thriving. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe, review, and enjoy the show. Welcome to our episode today. We have Chiara Battistello. She's a psychotherapist, private practice in New York City. And today we're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, um, focusing towards anxiety and depression. So everybody listen up because if you don't have it, someone you know probably has it. So it's a good thing to learn more about and have more awareness. Thank you so much, Chiara, for being on the show today. Sure. It's nice to be here. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you do and um, what brought you here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I'm a social worker by training. Um, I got my MSW about 15 years ago and then um, continued on to get my PhD. Um, I've been working um, as a psychotherapist for about 15 years. Um, for a long time, I was part of the Columbia University Day Treatment Program, which was is an intensive group therapy program. Um, and more recently, I'm just in private practice in the city. Um, and you know, I've been trained in a variety of different modalities, but I have to say that uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, was probably my first and continues to be one that I kind of weave into my practice. Um, on a regular basis, you know, depending on what somebody needs. So, um, but I've gone on to, you know, have training in DBT, which is a kind of cognitive behavioral therapy, um, interpersonal therapy, and I've done some analytic training. So I do psychodynamic therapy as well. That's amazing. Um, so tell us a little bit about cognitive behavioral therapy specifically, because from the way that I understand it, just by what it's called, you're dealing with your brain and the way you're processing information, but you're also translating that into behavior or action. So that amazing sort of brain body connection, which Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, what we really need today. Um, Not Mm -hmm. just thinking thoughts or not just doing things, but that connection between the two. So tell me, tell us a little bit about what that is. So actually CBT was um, developed like in the eighties, combining what you just mentioned, cognitive approaches and behavioral approaches. They used to be quite separate, actually. So CBT brings together um, this model that basically sees um, the way that we work as a combination of our thoughts, our feelings, and our behaviors. Basically, that those three things are completely connected right? And it puts emphasis on our thought patterns and not just assuming that our thoughts are representative of reality, but really looking at how our thoughts, which basically means like our interpretations of things, our assumptions about ourselves, about the world, you know, um, come from some like underlying beliefs that probably developed growing up. 
um, that kind of lead us to make certain kinds of interpretations, to have certain kinds of thought patterns that then, um, you know, lead us to feel in certain ways and often to behave in certain ways. And then that behavior tends to reinforce the original thought. You know, so for example, if you have a lot of thoughts about being awkward at a party, you may then that will, you know, impact the way that you feel your emotional state at the party and perhaps the way that you behave there. You might kind of stay in the corner or be very quiet or leave early. That behavior then reinforces the original thought, right, that you're awkward at parties, let's say, just to use kind of a simple one. You know, so it's really this model that looks at the way that we think as um, really contributing to how we feel, how we see the world, how we feel in the world, and also then how we behave. So it's, it's really looking at thought patterns as not things that are fixed in reality, but ways that we've learned to think. That's the key to it, I think. Yeah, I think this is great. I always love nerding out to neuroscience and psychology because I think it's literally one of the most fascinating parts of our bodies mm -hmm. and the way we are created as humans. Um, you know, we, we always think about when we experienced feelings or emotions or thought patterns, sometimes I feel like the problem is we think those are truths and facts, right? Mm -hmm. Where... Yes. Really, if you think about it, everything, if we're looking at it from a very neuroscience kind of perspective, when we sense things either through sound, smell, touch, all of our senses, and we take that in, it goes into a part of our brain that processes that, mm -hmm. and then it creates an interpretation, and those interpretation mm -hmm. centers combine past memories and past experiences, sort of filtering it in a certain ways, and then it produces behaviors and actions accordingly, right? So it's exactly kind of like what you just explained. You mm -hmm. believe that you may be awkward at a party or you believe that you um, are terrible at dancing. So mm -hmm. those kind of become what we call self-fulfilling prophecies. Mm -hmm. And we, I mean, tell me if this is true in, in the work that you do in the research, because I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but the idea of the fundamental attribution error, right? So you basically find out one example of, for example, you meet someone for the first time and then they spill something and then you forever think that person is clumsy right. or not careful. Um, and you can do that to yourself and over and over again almost until mm -hmm. you create only examples of you being clumsy and then you attribute yourself to being a clumsy person or terrible Absolutely. at dancing or bad at parties or awkward. Whereas there may be equally as many examples of you being social being not clumsy at all, being very organized and on top of your game, but you sort of filter this lens of what you perceive and what you take into those interpretation centers. So talk a little bit about that. I love learning out about this. So, so tell me a little yeah. bit about your research and your work. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, the, what happens, you know, as humans, we do need to categorize. We receive so much information, right? And our brain ultimately tries to protect us, right? Ultimately, it's trying to take care of us. And so we tend to create these categories, um, these schemas, we call them, right? Which are sort of ways of thinking, um, beliefs, really. I, I sort of see it as like the bedrock underneath, you know, and at a certain point in our lives, perhaps those beliefs helped us to stay safe or we have the illusion of staying safe or felt like they were protecting us. 
But then over time, they kind of get really embedded and ingrained in the way that our brain works and in the way that we react to stimuli, to situations, to events, to, to memories, you know, and start to sort of, sort of really shoot out, I like to think of it, all these automatic thoughts, right? All of these assumptions and interpretations and thought patterns that are kind of out of our conscious awareness. They just seem to just be. But they're really based on previous experiences that contributed to, you know, us forming these certain beliefs and schemas. And often they're kind of distorted, like inevitably for anybody, right? It's just part of being human and moving through the world and growing up and trying to make sense of complicated things, right? Is that a lot of our belief systems are schemas, like the filter, sort of like the lenses on your glasses, right? Like if I have pink lenses, I'm going to see everything as pink right? And not necessarily question that there's another way. So it really becomes this habitual way of reacting and thinking. And to tell you the truth, you know, all the focus on mindfulness and meditation is so, so important to CBT because really the ability to kind of take a moment, take a step back and acknowledge, oh, I just had a thought that I'm awkward at a party is so different from just being fully in it, believing it to be true as a fixed truth. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of CBT uses mindfulness techniques and definitely in my work, I find mindfulness and just awareness to be really vital to kind of begin to see, oh, I have all of these thoughts, all of these interpretations based on what's happening, based on my history. Let me just notice those, not be totally embedded in them, like spinning in them, but stepping aside a little bit to just acknowledge that I'm having a set of thoughts or a set of interpretations. Does that make sense? That's the real. I love this. I totally am totally understanding and on board with that. And it's funny because now that you're talking about that, it's, it's kind of reflecting on how I treat patients as mm-hmm. a physical therapist because sometimes people have an understanding or a belief that they're always in pain, right? Mm-hmm. So there are you know, patients that are experiencing chronic pain, and this is, this is true pain that they're experiencing, right? But sometimes it takes a little shift of thinking when I am palpating or pressing firmly on their area of pain. And I say, I want you to just be mindful and really focus on the sensation of this. And I want you to differentiate between pain, pressure, and discomfort. And that awareness is sometimes, and not always, but sometimes just turns off, like it almost like removes that lens, that pink lens for just a moment for people to just understand that there may be different interpretations to the same sensation. Mm-hmm. On this, and I'm speaking on a physical level, right? So imagine how many subconscious patterns that we create in our very, very complicated and intricate mm-hmm. brain. Um, and just that simple awareness or mindfulness mm-hmm. of people differentiating between, oh, sometimes people will immediately tell me, oh, that's just pressure. And it just changes the way they start looking at mm-hmm. sensations in their body, right? So how does this kind of relate to um, anxiety and depression on a day-to-day way? So what's something that you would tell people or advice that you would give or part of your plan of care for people to start implementing something into their lives where they're becoming more mindful? Right. So I think that, you know, if you really, you know, talk with someone who's struggling with depression and anxiety, a part of that is a part of the symptomatology of that, right? Like what they're experiencing, you can really see is 
a lot of um, usually deeply ingrained, like long-standing thought patterns, you know, um, assumptions really and interpretations and beliefs about themselves, about the world, about other people, about the future, you know. Um, and so it can be just very, very important to even just begin to help people see that it's not necessarily the only reality, as you were saying, right? It's not a fixed set reality that it's not to invalidate or minimize, right? That they're in pain or that they're scared or, you know, feeling extremely insecure, extremely pessimistic, all of the things that tend to go along with depression right. and anxiety. So it's not to invalidate that, but just to help people see that if they can take a moment, take a step back and just become aware of their thought patterns, right? Of what they may be kind of spending a lot of their time, a lot of their energy focusing on. It's as if they're wearing those pink glasses and you're kind of trying to help them see, hey, I know those glasses feel really fixed and like you can't take them off. Um, at the same time, if you can just start to see how some of your thoughts, some of your assumptions are causing you to feel all of these ways and let's see if we can maybe take the glasses off for a second or change the lens a little bit change that filter and just beginning to shake it up a little bit right so that they're not completely fixed to my depressive thoughts are reality and there's nothing I can do there's no other way I can think right so you're really beginning to help people to take a moment take a step back that's that mindfulness right is mm -hmm. being willing to just observe just notice just kind of describe what's happening as opposed to being right there in it. It's the difference between like swimming in the river versus of your thoughts, of your reactions, as opposed to stepping out and just sitting on the riverbank and just being able to notice. Yeah. Know? And I think that's the hardest part, right? Because we're such creatures of habit. Our mm -hmm. brains are for better or worse wired to think in certain ways that like you said, evolutionarily is supposed to protect us, mm -hmm. but Sometimes it just does the exact opposite, right? It's actually causing us to experience so much more confusion and harm. And again, I always like to relate this to the physical body, but you get an acute injury and then the muscles spasm to protect the joint. And right. now thereafter, your pain is from this muscle spasm that mm -hmm. wasn't even the original injury, but your body is trying to protect itself. But mm -hmm. now we have to unwire, rewire that pattern of contraction, contraction of the muscles to relieve you of the pain, right? I so, love that, great analogy, yeah. It's the same idea, our brain is like this very strong and intelligent and complex unit and we try to create these patterns to help us make sense of the world and to help us understand our feelings, our emotions, our environment and our relationships and sometimes we just end up doing more self-harm. Not in all cases, but in some cases. So, yeah. It, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I really agree with you. That's such a great way to think about it with sort of the muscle spasming, you know, because I think um, also some of these thoughts and beliefs and ways of reacting worked at a certain time or they felt like they worked at a certain time. It's just that they don't work anymore. You know what I mean? So that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of what ends up happening is that we continue because we are, as you said, habitual creatures. We have patterns. You know, there are grooves in the brain. There are pathways that we continue to... Um, go on over and over, much like if you were riding your bike through a field and you had developed, you had like made a well-worn bike path through that field. You're going to always take that path as opposed mm -hmm. to perhaps going a different way, you know? So we are very habitual in the way that we can react. And unfortunately at times, the ways that we coped in the past 
no longer are working and they're actually causing pain now or causing struggle. And so I think it really is about being willing to just take a look, just step back for a moment and really understand what are my thought patterns and what's happening? And that's what CBT does. It really helps people to look at the ways that they're thinking and to really identify, we call them distortions. Um, I don't always love that term. You can think of it as kind of a maladaptive thought or an unhelpful thought and an effective thought. I'm big on kind of effective versus ineffective, you know? Yeah. Um, but whatever it is that's happening in your thoughts, really looking at where they're not really realistic, right? Where they're based on some underlying belief, maybe some past experience, some fears, some, you know, beliefs system that is not completely connected to reality and beginning to look at that and kind of, you know, be accepting of it, right? Not pushing it away or criticizing oneself. I can't believe I think that way. It's so wrong. It's so bad. Not going there, but more so just being curious about, oh, I see that. I really see that there's a part of me that really believes that. Let me see if I can find a different way of thinking that could work better for me or that could be more connected to my reality today. You know, so yeah. CBT is used like for PTSD, for, you know, lots of different um, ways that people are struggling to really bring them into the current moment, the present moment and see what's going on today. And can you experience your situation a little bit differently? Can you make some different interpretations about what's going on with you? Yeah. So Absolutely. what does that session look like? Like day one, someone's coming through the door, they want help and, mm. and no one doesn't want help. Everyone says, I want to be out of pain or I want to stop being anxious. I want to stop being depressed. Nobody wants to be in these places, right? Mm. But what does it take on session one for them to start building this? What does that look like? I think you know, the first session is usually an assessment. So you're really going through, um, you know, in detail and asking a lot of questions um, with someone, what, what's going on with them? What's causing them the pain? Like what situations are difficult? What's, what are the symptoms? How are they experiencing depression and anxiety? Because, you know, both depression and anxiety are, you know, well studied and known to have certain common right um, aspects to them but everybody's different so you really want to get a sense of what exactly is happening what are they struggling with and beginning to listen for specific thought patterns underlying beliefs kind of schemas as I said you know if I hear somebody being repeatedly very self-critical um, I'll definitely note that you know and then once you know I feel like I've done an assessment which sometimes takes more than one session you know I really try to stay very open um, very curious. I think curiosity is a really important aspect of CBT and any therapy really, right? Again, moving away from criticism or from evaluation as good or bad, but more just about being open to noticing, to seeing, to understanding with a spirit of curiosity. I think that's key. And in terms of motivating someone to make the little changes, once we've understood kind of what might be happening for them or the kinds of thought patterns, the kinds of behaviors that are, you know, keeping them in a cycle of depression or anxiety or contributing to depression and anxiety, because of course there's also a biochemical piece, you know, then um, engaging them in the experiment of trying to do things a little bit differently. So I always think of it that way. And, you know, I've actually had some physical therapy and I remember that I remember needing to think of it as an experiment because I couldn't get my head around. Like if I just do this thing a little bit every day, 
I'll feel better. My body will change a little bit. You know, right. I wanted a big solution or I wanted, basically I wanted to lay there and get a massage and then leave and feel better, you know? <laughs> you know right. I mean? So it took like really an experiment, open mindset, right? Of like, I'm just going to check this out. I'm just going to try this and see what happens. And I think that's the best way to go into any therapy and definitely CBT, you know? So it's about really, first of all, acknowledging and assessing what's happening that may be able to be shifted a little bit. And then beginning to make those shifts, as you said, a little bit every day with an open mind, you know. That's amazing. I love that. I love all of that. I think it's something that needs to be explored more and people sometimes don't know they have that option to look into. So they start Mm -hmm. living with their emotional struggles or their ineffective thought patterns and that starts to become normalcy. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that's what this is all about, allowing people to understand that there are options out there. And mm-hmm. that they can actually really get help. And that it doesn't, it's not going to be a walk in the park. It's not going to be a, you know, one size fits all. Everybody just do this and, or get this done to you and you'll be better. But it's really like a day-to-day um, change and shift. And mm-hmm. it takes work. And it takes an open mindset. And it takes effort. But there is help. Absolutely. No, there's no doubt about it. Many, many people have been helped with CBT. And, and, you know, it was originally designed to be relatively short term. So it can also just be, you know, again, a short term therapy. Some people feel overwhelmed by the idea of having to go to a long term therapy. And obviously, it requires time, money, resources. You know, so CBT can also really be 12 sessions. Um, I've done a lot of CBT for eating disorders where the standard is about 12 to 16 sessions. Um, And again, once somebody starts to feel a little bit of a shift, you know, you start to really build on that and can build on that on your own. And there are many then workbooks that one can use, you know, on their own, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's fantastic. So where can people find you if they have any questions or want to connect with you on social media? Where do they find you? So my website is actually my full name. So it's chiarabattistello.com. Amazing. Um, Yeah. And that has all the information about my practice. You can send me an email, give me a call with any questions. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. This is, I love nerding out about this whole psychology stuff because (laughs) as I was telling you before, I have an undergraduate degree, which of course doesn't mean much, but I still am fascinated about it. I think what we do is really, really connected and that's the best you know, sort of psychotherapy and physical therapy together, you know, and kind of being mindful of both, I think is really key to just wellness, right? So it was a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope everyone gained a lot of new information out of this episode. Please subscribe and review the show. It means the world. I can't wait for you to listen to the next episode.